hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. In this episode, we're looking ahead to MIPCOM 2019, which gets underway in Cannes on Monday. The market's braced for major change as an array of new US studio-backed streamers, including Disney+, HBO Max and Peacock, all gear up for launch, reining in rights to shows they would have previously sold to international buyers. It's a trend that emulates tactics championed by Netflix, Amazon, and soon Apple too, and is making waves across the industry. What does this mean for so-called traditional TV? Here with me to discuss this subject and others are C21 Editorial Director Ed Waller. Hello. Kids Editor Nico Franks. Hello. And Michael Pickard, Editor of Drama Quarterly. Hi. Ed, given all the changes taking place in the market right now, uh, it's going to be a very different MIPCOM this year. What's your take on it? I think MIPCOM's come at a really interesting time in the business. Uh, I think uh, I, I know I know that uh, we journalists like to overstate things and, and uh, go for the big headline-grabbing stories, but I think um, this time around it's actually true. The uh, when when you look at what's going on, the big seismic changes that are happening in the, in the business, you know, over the last couple of years, it's it's, it's just been interesting. There's the all the the whole cord cutting thing in the states, the almost uh, ma- massive demise of pilot season. The number of pilots commissioned are nearly a third down on previous years. You know, there's a, there's a, the big changes happening, and and you know, not to mention the writers versus the agents and all this kind of thing. So the the launch of these OTT services comes against that that backdrop which is already turbulent and uh, changing and unpredictable throw in all these new business practices by the uh, the SVODs you know pulling back programs as you mentioned uh, and depriving the distribution ecosystem of some of its biggest shows because they want to keep it within their walled gardens um, and if you talk to distributors uh, about getting their hands on product to distribute you know even before that program pullback, it was tough because of vertical integration. They, they weren't being able to get hold of any shows to distribute if, if they weren't part of these bigger uh, aligned, vertically integrated bodies. So you start to think, well, what's MIPCOM going to be like? Because the shows that are traditionally bought and sold at MIPCOM are, are it's all in the aftermarket. And those rights are already, already being sewn up before cameras start rolling. So it's, it's depriving the distribution ecosystem of, of some of its brightest shows. Um, that's what the doomsayers say. If you talk to perhaps more opti- optimistic people, program pullback presents a massive opportunity because all those networks and platforms that previously relied on content from the studios, which is now being redirected to parental platforms, are going to have to fill their space somehow. And that's where there's a real opportunity for non-aligned independent distributors to come in and say, OK, you just lost that big show that uh, has gone to HBO Max or back to the Peacock where it was produced. You know, our shows are available. Um, let's have a chat. And, and so there could be uh, opportunities at MIP that uh, are being presented by these SVOD giants. That's very much reflected in the uh, 2019 Global Distribution Trends Survey that C21's just concluded. The findings of, of that survey are in the magazine. We had over 200 respondents from across the industry who kindly took their time and uh, to, to share their insights. And despite all the disruption, people were overwhelmingly positive. Over 50% reported an increase in revenues from TV programme licensing in the past year and close to 65% predict a further upswing in the coming 12 months. But it's certainly the streamers that are the ones that you know these companies are looking to as being the, the driver of growth in revenue and the broadcasters 
across the board, people know are expecting to see a decline in the license fees paid by those, those linear players. I guess what's perhaps surprising in these circumstances then is the extent to which some of the sellers still rely on traditional TV buyers. Over 70% of respondents reported that linear makes up more than 50% of their income and 7% stated that they're 100% relying on this. A lot of companies still very much dependent on the traditional linear broadcasters. All the growth, however, is expected to come from streaming. I think another finding from that survey that, I, that stood out for me was the fact that even though the majority of the respondents said that the deals they got from the global SVODs were far worse in terms of remuneration and rights uh, than they previously got from uh, the, um, the traditional TV networks. They said that overwhelmingly the arrival of SVODs was a good thing. So there's obviously a, a real a dilemma facing not just the distributors in the business, but everyone in the business, you know, how to deal with these, these new players and, and how, to, uh, how to react accordingly. I think one of the interesting things that stood out for me again over the last few months is, is the fact that this debate over co-production is still going on. You know, there was a talk a couple of years ago about the global SVODs ditching co-production and using it just as a transitionary sort of strategy, uh, but it's still alive and well. And, and even the SVODs are caught in a bit of a dilemma because they, even though the bean counters at, at their platforms are insisting that they own rights to everything in all platforms in, in perpetuity, that the real politics behind it is that they know they have to compromise and be flexible in order to get the best shows because their suppliers know that there's, you know, Netflix isn't just the, on, the only show in town anymore. There's all these new players that they can get better deals from, perhaps more flexibility uh, that they can insist upon because it's becoming a seller's market. And so the, the, that dilemma that's, that's being presented by technology is, is, is all, also afflicting the SVODs. They, they want all rights, that's their business model, but they have to compromise in order to get the best shows. You know, and, and that's trickling down into other other broadcasters. You know, Svod is making strange bedfellows out of, of former rivals. You know, companies that used to be uh, uh, at each other's throats in the ratings are now getting into bed with each other because of Svod. You know, look at what's happening with BritBox and ITV and BBC. Uh, the co-production trend is spreading where companies that used to be arch rivals are now forced into co-producing with each other just to compete with what's on offer from the SVODs. And so that, that, that dilemma seems to be pulling the industry in, in very different ways. And, and even, even vertical integration, everyone's talking about vertical integration being the big thing in sweeping through the business and program pullbacks, just a, a, an example of that. But at the same time, you've got all these big broadcasters that are setting up production studios to go and produce for other networks outside of their family, which is the opposite of vertical integration. The BBC did it with BBC Studios, but that tactic is being emulated around the world by broadcasters that they, they know that they haven't got enough slots or space on their own broadcast inventory, so they want to go and produce for other platforms, which, which means sort of it's, it's a counter vertical integration. One of the best examples, I guess, of the, the, the trend that we're, we're talking about here in the market, Sky Vision will, will no longer be an entity, as it were, at, at MIPCOM for the first time this year, now rolled into NBC Universal Global Distribution as part of Comcast, gearing up for the launch of Peacock in the new year through NBCU. So um, we've shone a spotlight on that company and that, that story in the main magazine. What else can you tell us about the uh, the flagship issue of C21 International? Well, we've we try to reflect the the trends 
in the business, obviously, and we try to reflect some of the keynotes and the, the sessions at MIP. But at the same time, we've, we've had a bit of a redesign of, of the, uh, the October C21 international issue just to, to make it um, more user-friendly in many ways. I think we've found that readers are increasingly time poor um, and they, they, they really need to know why they should read this bit of editorial out of all the hundreds of, bit of it, bits of editorial that are being presented to them. So we've had to sort of redesign the magazine a little bit and make it really obvious that this is editorial, this is copy that has real takeaway, that has news you can really use to help improve your business. That's why we've, we've sort of changed it slightly. It's not just feature news, interview, feature interview news. Uh, you know, we've, we've delved down into, into the, 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 the real uh, takeaway that this bit of ed editorial presents. Uh, so hopefully the, the uh, readers of C21 will notice uh, an improvement in the magazine. We've, you know, we've got, we've got some of the keynotes that are speaking at MIT. We've got Adam Lewison from Tubi. You know, that, that's a real interesting story about the rise of AVOD and what he calls comfort TV. And it's really been reflected in not just in the AVOD world, but when you look at all the big uh, the horse trading deals that have been going on in the SVOD world for the office and, the fr and friends and Big Bang Theory and all these things, which, uh, you know, essentially old comedies, uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars are being spent to, to harvest those because they're so bingeable on, on a, in an SVOD platform just as they are in an AVOD platform platform but um, so yeah we, 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 we've, we've, we've harvested some of the uh, findings and the editorial that's come out of the um, the distribution report in pro uh, so we've 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 got a strand called content economics which is um, looking at the you know the business behind the business and how to actually uh, how to monetize assets um, rather than just talking about the assets so that's that's an interesting one that's got real uh, takeaway for the reader and and we've we've tackled uh, in a, in a new strand called ahead of the curve. We we've tackled the the the, the role of, of quotas and how that's going to play out in uh, in Europe, particularly with the the European Commission imposing these quotas on uh, on the SVODs. And it, and it's and it's raised yet another dilemma for the uh, for the SVOD uh, and the AVOD um, industries because one one of one of the, the the sort of secret weapons that the the broadcaster backed OTT services have in Europe is that they have local content. Uh, and they have that relationship because of their legacy as, as a public service broadcaster or, or a commercial broadcaster in that market over decades. The newcomers that have come in from California or, or elsewhere around the world don't have that local content, so there's, they're at a little bit of a disadvantage. But if the, EC, if the EC's quotas, which were there to protect the local broadcasters, are imposed on the SVODs from America, then, they will, then that advantage that the locals have will disappear because they won't have that local content advantage because the newcomers will be forced to produce a load of local content uh, to, to fit the regulation. So it's a real dilemma facing the, uh, the, the local broadcasters that are moving into that SVOD space. But it um, be interesting uh, to, to hear how, from, from readers how, how the new magazine goes down. Before MIPCOM gets underway, MIP June is obviously taking place over the weekend. Nico, you are our kids' correspondent, Supreme. Tell us all about what's going on at MIP Junior this weekend and... Uh, what some of the big stories are for you? Well, yeah, I think like the wider MIPCOM um, event, the issues are all going to be about the impact of these direct-to-consumer services. But what's funny about the kids' business is that they've been at the coalface of the streaming revolution because of the way young people watch, particularly, you know, really young kids on tablets and then older kids who for whom the schedule has just been irrelevant for, you know, the past maybe five seven years so children's broadcasters and producers and distributors have had to be dealing with a lot of the issues that 
the general industry is now um, faced with for the past couple of years in the sense of Netflix commissioning shows kind of um, in one one full commission, um, but also taking a lot of that back end, uh, which is now something that factual producers are really having to think about, I think is a feature in in the uh, the main issue about that. So what's interesting is though the more general streaming services that are coming through. So HBO Max, for example, um, HBO, not a, a name you traditionally associate with children, but they have kind of been making steps in that area. They did a deal with Sesame Workshop a few years ago um, just to get that broader offer. And now that's really coming to the fore. Uh, this past week or so, they've set their kids and family team. So they've got um, execs looking for scripted content. And then just this week, they announced a couple of unscripted competition shows really directed at that kind of tween teen audience that scheduled TV just can't reach anymore. Um, so two shows that are fronted by YouTube talent, which is obviously yeah, been on the cards for a good few years now. But interesting to see that, yeah, it's finally starting to happen. This OTT 2.0, I guess you could call it, that's really going to potentially be a real boost to people, not just producing for younger kids, but also that slightly older kid demographic. Disney Plus as well is obviously going to be a huge player in this space as well, setting the bar, I guess, for the rest that are going to follow Turner and all of its kids' content is going to be wrapped into HBO Max, as you've as you've referenced there. So do you think buyers down in Cannes are going to see a big difference in terms of what these studios are making available to them? I suppose the thing about Disney is that it's almost always been something of a walled garden in the sense that if you do a show with Disney, it's a Disney show. And it's kind of, if you do a show with Disney Plus, then it's going to be a Disney Plus show. Although in Europe, Disney has been more and more working with the independent production community. Um, you know, it's it's a, a it's got a big presence at events like Cartoon Forum now for for a good few years. With Disney Plus, there's one show that they're working uh, on with a French producer. They've acquired a BBC Studios show called Bluey, um, kind of in a kind of Netflix style deal, kind of all international rights, but not the the home territory rights. Um, and that show originates out of Australia. So I think Disney Plus will provide some opportunities for kids uh, producers, um, but obviously it's going to be dominated by stuff from within that amazing Disney library, which you know has brands like Star Wars, Marvel, um, National Geographic as well, um, which could start producing a few more shows for kids. And Turner and HBO Max, is it too soon to say how that's going to play out? Yeah, I'd say so. It's it's um, even how much things will premiere on HBO Max before Cartoon Network or the other way around, that's still up in the air. Viacom, CBS too, they're supposed to be coming together as well. Impact for Nickelodeon. Yeah, obviously that's all still up in the air, so the impact of that is still to be seen. But of all those kind of big US media conglomerates, Viacom does seem to be the most that's embraced the AVOD model the most. So I think you'll start to see Pluto TV, particularly with kids and just how much AVOD is, is a big driver of kids, of the kids business now, um, primarily on YouTube, but Pluto TV with the backing of Viacom and all of its children's brands that it owns, that could start to, um, that could start to become a, a strong proposition in the future. 
all the money that's flying around in this space that we've just been talking about in terms of the studios buying back rights to their own content or rather foregoing license fees that uh, third-party streamers might pay for those shows seems to be centered all around comedy um, so as far as scripted is concerned Mike we should be doing a lot more in comedy not drama we should be doing a lot more in comedy it's um, you know the, the genre that used to never travel is now you know there's money flying around in these mega deals for global rights to American sitcoms that might be 20 years old but they're getting uh, the youth are obviously uh, coming round to watching them again and uh, and they're still finding them as, as funny and as irreverent as, as ever really the first time around we watched them um, so comedy is definitely making a play for the scripted uh, boon at the moment. But all the money in terms of the investment in original series still seems to be going into drama. Drama, again, a, a huge uh, strand running out through MIPCOM this year. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, um, you know, everyone's down in Cannes every six months and, and the story uh, in terms of drama is the same as I probably would have told the podcast six months ago um, for MIP TV, you know, drama is as buoyant as ever um, arguably in the next six weeks or so it's going to be even more buoyant supercharged um, by Disney plus Apple um, and with more to come so it's it's as we've already discussed it's really just a case of how much of that is going to be available for the the distribution market and for for third party buyers to grab a piece of if if that's available at all um, as we see, um, you know, at MIP TV, Can series has obviously become uh, a big home for screening, screening new shows, and, and MIPCOM, it doesn't have the pink carpet this uh, this time around, but this doesn't mean there's any fewer screenings, so there's going to be a, a three or four world premieres, lots of screenings during the week to show the, showcase, the, you know, the, what's coming up um, from around the world. It really is a global screening um, playlist that they've got this year. Japan, Italy, Sweden, Spain, Brazil are involved, um, highlighting, um, I think, the greater quality um, of drama that's being produced around the world now. Uh, I wrote a feature recently for Drama Quarterly about Eastern European drama, which I think is, is holding up um, considerably on the back of HBO Europe's extensive original drama production strategy. Um, so that's just highlighting again how the game is being changed and the the bar is being raised around the world um, in terms of quality um, drama. So I think MIPCOM more now than ever is about finding those hidden gems that people maybe maybe won't have seen yet. Um, but also, as I think most markets are changing now, it's becoming a development market. And those conversations in the booths in the Palais will be about what's coming next rather than the finished tape that people probably would have seen months ago. Um, that having said that, um, there's still a few sessions around that would probably catch a few people's eyes. Um, among the guests, we're going to have uh, Jed Mercurio um, at the Palais and, and Darren Starr, um, the former of obviously Bodyguard, Line of Duty fame, Darren Starr um, of Sex in the City, most notably. So it's going to be interesting to see what those creators will say about um, the creative side of, of the drama industry at the moment. Um, it's also interesting to hear uh, some of maybe the more consumer-facing discussions being had around the drama business at the moment. Um, the talk of uh, the death of binge-watching is um, something that's kind of um, building up ahead of steam at the moment. I think Disney and uh, Apple, uh, are certainly for some of their shows, are going to be using a, a weekly release schedule, which uh, is obviously different to the Amazon and, and Netflix models of, of dropping a whole season at once. So it's interesting to see how that might play out um, Certainly having watched Succession weekly at the moment for season two, I'm 
going crazy waiting for the next one so there's still life in the weekly release schedule yet um, even though I was able to, to binge watch uh, season one over the summer in preparation for season two so um, it has it both have their benefits I guess and there's some, certainly nothing like a you know a water cooler drama that catches the the zeitgeist and, and keeps everyone talking for a week between episodes. It's it's still you know if you can crack that then you've got a gem on your hands. Um, it's also worth noting uh, the Downton Abbey movie obviously played well in the summer, um, and we've got the Breaking Bad movie launching uh, soon uh, tomorrow as we record on Friday El Camino. Um, so that's going to be interesting. We had the Deadwood movie. Uh, earlier as well this year so it might be something that people are talking about how they can extend the lives of their their dramas uh, resurrect them even or or maybe see how they can bring the movie theatres into the TV drama world perhaps Are you going to stick your neck out and uh, tell us what your your hot picks are for for MIP this year in terms of the screenings? Well I can put uh, a bet on one Um, I was lucky enough to be invited to Stockholm uh, a few weeks ago to uh, visit the set of Agent Hamilton, which is going to be the Sunday night premiere at MIPCOM. Um, it's based on a series of novels, uh, spy novels set in the Cold War, um, that are bestsellers in Sweden and around Scandinavia. And that's been sort of uh, reimagined for the modern day Cold War 2.0 as uh, uh, Russia and, and the US kind of uh, saddle up a bit and uh, jockey for position in this new world order that we're going through at the moment. Um, so I, was, I had a great day in, in Stockholm where I got to see um, quite a horrific uh, set. They, it was the aftermath of a, a terrorist attack in, in a busy populated park in the centre of Stockholm. And uh, I've been on a few set visits now, but I've never seen anything quite like that in terms of the subject they were filming, but also the level of uh, you know 200 extras, um, makeup artists, re- you know reapplying blood it between every take. One extra was set on fire. It was um, I mean it was incredible to watch you know the team put this all together. Um, and uh, so I would definitely recommend uh, heading to the Palais on Sunday night uh, for that one. Okay, so we've got Cold War 2.0, OTT 2.0. It's going to be MIPCOM. 2.0 this year. I think it's going to be co-production 2.0 as well. I think over the last few years there's been uh, a real change in the co-production strategy. We've had, um, you know, co-production previously just based around individual shows, ad hoc almost, but it's, it's sort of become more um, strategic alliances. We've seen the, the Nord Vision, the N12 alliances in, in Scandinavia between the public broadcasters there. We've seen the European alliance with France, Italy and uh, Germany joining forces to try and compete with SVOD. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing other alliances form. Maybe there's an Eastern European version of this where the public broadcasters can team up. Uh, maybe there's versions in other parts of the world, in Latin America or Asia, where they um, form these strategic alliances to compete and if, if we take it to a, a, to the next level maybe the regional SVODs that are springing up around the world uh, are going to start co-producing with each other to to combat what the, the global SVODs are doing you know there's as well as these global SVODs there's a whole um, plethora of, of national and regional uh, OTT services springing up in, in, in countries and it'd be interesting to see what their strategy is for co-producing with each other around the world so we could we could see co-production 2.0 as well okay well that's all we have time for in this episode my thanks to ed nico and michael there'll be plenty more from the c21 podcast throughout the week at mipcom 
and be sure to stay up to date with all the latest news by following C21 online, on mobile and on Twitter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>